Well, we're in week two of this series, Live Stronger. We're studying through the book of James. And last week, we kind of kicked it off with a pretty tough subject. That is, how do you have joy in the face of life's struggles? Somebody in my life group, and this week when we were meeting, and by the way, if you're not in a life group, you need to get in a life group, be connected that way. But in our life group Thursday night, somebody said, you know, there's a lot of really practical stuff in James, but there aren't any easy subjects. And it's so true. It's so true. But you know what? If you're going to live stronger... You've got to deal with the tough issues of life. And uh, today I want us to try to tackle another one of those uh, tough issues, and that is how do you deal with temptation? He's coming! Not me, I'm sorry. <gasps> Who's that? Who's that? Who could it be? It's me. Are, are you my conscience? I'm your, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm your conscience. We haven't spoken for a while. How are you? Mm, can't complain. Yeah, good. Now, Dory, I want you to tell me, do you see anything? I see a... I see a light. A light? Yeah, over there. Hey, Conscience, am I dead? Oh, I, I, I see it, too. What is it? It's so pretty. I... I'm feeling happy, which is a big deal for me. I want to touch it. Oh. Hey, come back. <laughs> come on back here. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to swim with you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to be your best friend. Good feelings gone. <laughs> Let me tell you, that is the blaring, seductive power of temptation. And it is exactly uh, what James describes uh, and writes about in James chapter 1. So I hope you brought your Bibles, or if you're following along on the Version event, uh, go ahead and go there. James chapter 1, and we're going to look at some verses that we uh, looked at last week. I'm going to go back and look at them again from a little bit different angle today. And then we're also going to gravitate over to chapter 4 and pick up some things that James uh, says there. So James chapter 1, verse uh, 13. He says, When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You say, temptation leads to to deadly, devastating consequences. Think about Adam and Eve. Back in the Garden of Eden hundreds of years ago. God creates them and He places them in this incredible garden in really perfect light. I mean, everything was perfect as God created it and intended it to be. And God says there, there's this, all these trees that you can eat from and all this food that you can have. There is this one thing, this one tree that you're not to partake of. And for days and weeks, Adam and Eve are quite content to just fulfill the desires of their hunger and their desires in life to eat of the trees that God said are fine. And then Satan comes along and he says, you know, that stuff about this one tree that God's been telling you, that's a lie. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to have what that tree offers? And it began with their desire to have what they think that tree 
will give them in life and they're enticed and they're trapped in it and they take of that fruit and they eat it and they sin and life changes. And suddenly they are very aware of their nakedness. They hide from God. Their relationship with God is broken and different and won't be restored the way it was intended to be until Jesus comes hundreds of years later. And sin has a way of working in our lives like that. It drags us away and entices us. James says that sin, our sin, doesn't begin with God. It doesn't even begin with Satan. It begins with our our own desires that pull us away and entice us. That's exactly what James says in verse 13. Listen to that again. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Now, our desires, these desires that we have, they they start out as good. But when they get out of control, when they get outside of the guardrails that God has placed on those desires... They can lead us to sin. Let me try to illustrate. I have a wonderful plate of brownies here. Don't they look good? They smell good. Yeah, and for most of you, you'd love to have one of these right now, wouldn't you? I mean, some of you don't care. You're not into chocolate, guys. But um, you'd love to have one of these. And and you know what? Our, Our natural desire to have food is a good thing. God created us so that we would get hungry, so that we would eat and and nourish our bodies. But sometimes we let those desires get out of control and we consume far more than we should. Or some of us are trying to be careful about what we're eating and so we see a plate of brownies like this and even though we know that's probably not the healthiest choice, we think, oh, go ahead. And you know what, a plate of brownies, that's, that's not really a big deal. But let me illustrate with some other desires that get us in far greater trouble. What about sex? God gave us this desire for sex to be fulfilled within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman. And within those confines, that desire is a wonderful, beautiful, fun thing that God wired us up for. But when we let that desire get outside of the guardrails, outside of the boundaries that God created, and we take it beyond the marriage bed to other places, we end up in sin. God gave us a natural desire to have clothing and to put a roof over our head and to make sure that our family has those things. And within those natural desires it's a good thing but we often in our culture let those desires go far beyond just making sure that we're clothed and we have a roof over our head we let it go far beyond to i've got to have designer clothes and i've got to have nicer clothes and i've got to have a better house and a bigger house to the point where those desires sometimes lead us to the place of selfishness i'm going to hold on to everything that i have because it's mine and i'm not going to share it with anybody else or they lead us to the place where we value material things more than we do others. God has given us a natural desire that we would achieve in life, that we would would move forward in life. But sometimes that natural desire takes control and we let it go beyond what it should and it leads to a sense of achieving pride or we pursue power. God has given us a, a natural desire for relationship and friendship. But sometimes we let that desire for other people to like us 
get out of control, which leads us sometimes to lie so that we'll look good or to gossip about others so that people maybe will put them down and people will like us or even it leads us to betray people. Our desires are good, but when we let them get out of control, they lead us to dangerous places. Now, Satan has a part in this process too. He certainly did with Adam and Eve. He did with Jesus when he tempted him in the desert. And he does with us. He plays a role. And you know what? Here's the thing about Satan. He knows exactly where we are vulnerable. And that's where he attacks us. He knows which of our desires we struggle with. And that's that's where he puts the temptation out there. And he attacks us. And so the, the first step in knowing how to avoid temptation and how to say no to temptation is to realize where it is that I, I'm weak and vulnerable and protect myself there. Now, I understand that from a sports perspective. When I think about a football team, when they prepare for their opponent, they study and they try to analyze where are their weaknesses. And wherever they perceive the team to be weakness, that's where they're going to strike because that's how they think they'll be able to score. In, in a basketball game, when a guy gets four fouls on him, what, is the, what does the other team do immediately if they're smart? I mean, they're going to take the ball at that guy every single time they can because they know one of two things. He's going to foul and be out of the game, or more likely he's going to play very soft and it'll be much easier to score, and the team becomes vulnerable in that position. And Satan understands where it is in our lives that we are vulnerable, and that's where he attacks. And so you want to avoid a temptation. Then you've got to recognize where am I weak, what desires do I struggle with, and I've got to be prepared for attacks in those areas. Now, move over to uh, chapter 4. And I want to look at a few verses here that I think continue to address this idea of how do I avoid temptation. Chapter 4, verse 4 says this. You adulterous people. In other words, you, you sinful people because by your sin you've cheated on God. You've cheated on your relationship with Him. You adulterous people, don't you know that your friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us, that is, the Holy Spirit, envies intensely? Here's the second thing. We've got to be careful of our alliances. We've got to be careful of our alliances. We've got to be careful who we associate with. I heard about uh, two two boys, long, old story, two boys who went out and... uh, purchased a linnet. It's a a type of a small bird. And and they took this small bird home, and they also had a a singing canary. And they thought that if they put this small bird next to their singing canary, that over time, the canary would teach this little bird how to sing. Well, so they, they left them there over a period of time, and after a few weeks had gone by, they were walking by the cages one day, and they heard this noise, and they looked, and the canary was chirping obnoxiously, like this little bird. Instead of the canary teaching the little bird how to sing, the little bird had taught the canary how to chirp. We need to be careful. Who and what has influence in our lives? Because you know what? It is often the subtle influences that trip us up and cause us to have problems. Craig Massey said, two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul, the one is blessed, the one I love, The one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. And it is so true. 
the things that I feed, the things that I allow to have influence in my life are the things that will change the direction of my life. I mean, we're always telling our kids, be careful of who your friends are because we know the power of a friend's influence. Adults, we might do well sometimes to take our own advice. Because you know what? The people that we spend time with, the places that we go, the media that we put into our mind, all shape our desires and shape our decisions. You know what? If you go into a room and spend a lot of time hanging out in a room where everyone is always eating brownies, don't you think after a while you're going to be a little more susceptible to that temptation and eventually you're going to eat a brownie too? Yeah, probably are. Now, does that mean, does that mean, which by the way, don't forget this, you know what? Temptation always promises more than it can ever deliver. It's true. Now, does that mean that you should, you know, you should never go to a brownie eating room if there was such a place? (laughs) Well, it depends on how susceptible you are to brownie eating. But I do know this. Don't spend so much time in the brownie eating room that the brownie eating room becomes a bigger influence in your life than God does. Because when that happens, you become a friend of the brownie eating room instead of a friend of God. Listen, we live in such a sin-prone culture that if we don't fight really hard, it is easy for our culture to become a bigger influence in our life than God is. And when that happens, we become a friend of our culture, a friend of the world, as James describes here, rather than being a friend of God. Listen to what he says um, in verse 7. He says, submit yourselves then to God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, make sure that God is the biggest influence in your life. Then he goes on to say this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that's the next thing in overcoming temptation. We've got to resist the devil. Now, the Bible paints two pretty clear pictures of how it is that we resist Satan in our lives. One of those pictures is sometimes you've got to stand and fight. And the other picture that the Bible paints is sometimes you've got to run. Now, sometimes you've got to stand and fight. So that's the first picture. But if you're going to stand and fight, then you've got to make sure that you have the right equipment to be able to stand and fight. And in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, Paul lays out a whole list of some things that we ought to make sure. Now, I don't have time to dig into all these today. There's one that I want to highlight. But look there at, uh, in chapter 6. It says this, verse uh, 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. We've got to have the right equipment to fight off Satan. He lists several things, and I'd encourage you to take some time uh, this week. If you're in a life group that's uh, studying through this in your study this week, you'll have a chance to dig in and kind of look at each of these things. I want to skip to verse 17, though, where it says this. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I think one of the key pieces of equipment or armor that we need in fighting off Satan is God's Word. This book, This book has the power to help us say no to temptation. And when I I read this book, when I know this book, and when I use it, the power in your life to to defeat temptation will grow substantially. Psalm 119 says, Thy word, or God's word, have I hidden in my heart 
that I might not sin against him or against you. You want to have the power not to sin against God, then one of the key pieces is knowing this book. Having it in your heart. That way, when you're tempted to lie, you remember that the Bible says that God delights in honesty or in honest scales. Or you'll remember when you're, when you're tempted to kind of blow up at your child. But the Bible says, fathers, do not provoke your children. Or, or when you're, you're tempted, you know, you've, you've heard that kind of juicy piece of news that you just can't wait to pass on to somebody else. You'll remember that the Bible says, do not gossip. Or when you're, you're about to blow your cool, you'll remember that the Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. Now, you know what? None of us probably are ever going to memorize all of the Bible. I mean, that would be great if we could do that, but the reality is it's probably not going to happen. But you know what? I, I want to tell you that's okay. Because here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that if you'll read the Bible every day, when you read the Bible every day, the Holy Spirit has the ability to guide us, to give us the ammunition that we'll need for that day to fight off the attacks of Satan that we'll encounter in that day. But the Bible has to be a key piece of our equipment. And reading it regularly equips us and gives us the ability to say no to temptation. We'll move on down. Oh, the other thing sometimes, though, I will skip. I almost went too fast. The other thing is sometimes we've got we to gotta run. I mean, sometimes the Bible says the best thing you can do in the face of temptation is run. Let me, let me tell you two stories from the Old Testament of the Bible. One is the story of Joseph. Joseph became a, a, a slave uh, in the household of Potiphar, a ruler in Egypt. And uh, while he was a slave there, Potiphar's wife was very attracted to Joseph. And multiple times she would come to him and say, come to bed with me. And every time, Joseph resisted. There was one day that Potiphar's wife came to Joseph and literally reached out and grabbed him and said, come to bed with me. And Joseph said, I will not sin against God. And he turned and he ran the other way. And he avoided the temptation. Now compare that with King David, who one night glanced from his balcony across the way and saw a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing you know what he did? What he should have done was exactly what Joseph did. He should have immediately turned and walked away, run away. But he lingered and he looked and his looking and lingering turned to lust and he had her brought to his home and he committed adultery when he should have run from the temptation. The places where we are most vulnerable, the desires that you struggle with the most, those are the moments when temptation comes in those areas those are probably the moments that you want to turn and run from temptation. There's one more thing I want us to note, beginning in verse 8. It says this, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Now stop there for a second. That's the next thing. If we're going to say no to temptation, then we've got to, we've got to live near God. But if we're going to live near God, then we've got to learn to deal with our sin. And that's what James says, beginning in the next sentence. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, now here's what he's saying. He's saying that if we're going to overcome temptation, 
we've got to deal with our sin. We've got to admit that there have been times in our lives that we've done wrong. We've got to admit that sometimes our life has been headed in the wrong direction and we need to change the direction of our lives. It's called repentance. And then he goes on to indicate that we need to learn to take sin as seriously as God does. Here's part of what I think James is saying. I think James says we sort of have this tendency to almost kind of laugh at sin. We, we treat it like, well, it's just really not that big a deal. And James says, you, you need to turn that laughter into mourning. You need to learn to take your sin as seriously as God does. And God takes it very seriously. You see, as long as we just think it's not that big a deal, then we're not that worried about overcoming temptation. But when we move to the place in our lives where we take sin as seriously as God does, then we'll realize that this fight to say no to temptation is an important fight in our lives. And then James wraps it up by saying it involves some humility. It takes some humility to admit that, that I've messed up, that I have sinned, and I, I actually need a Savior in my life. Well, to do that, for all this to be true, we've got to make sure we are, are living near God every day. Now, let me try to illustrate what I mean by that. I have uh, two soda cans, black cherry. So uh, both look exactly the same, right? You know, they look like they're the same on the outside. Uh, one of these, though, is very weak. One of them is very strong. The one that is very weak, I have the ability to crush. The other one that's strong, I, I'm not strong enough to crush it. You know, you know what the difference is? Even though they look the same on the outside, and it's easy for us to be deceived and to, to deceive others by the way we appear and the way our lives appear on the outside, isn't it? The difference is the reason I can crush this one, there's nothing on the inside of me. It is empty. And the reason I can't crush this one is because it is full. And if I'm going to say no to temptation, I've got to live near enough to God on a regular basis that my life stays filled up. Because when I get empty... When I get empty, I become susceptible to temptation crushing me. Now, how do I live near God? How do I stay full? I think part of it is every day recognizing and worshiping God. It's just a part of a, a realization every day that God is there, that his power is available to me, that God wants to walk with me every day. And I need to grow in my awareness that God is with me all the time. There is never a moment that I am outside the presence of God. I think part of it is recognizing the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. When I become a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit moves into my life. And if I will listen to him, if I will be aware of his presence in my life, then I will, will hear the Holy Spirit saying to me at times, don't go that direction. Don't give in to that desire. Danger, Will Rogers. Be careful. Another key piece in staying filled up is what we've already talked about. It's the power of the Word of God being put into our hearts and our lives every single day. Listen, if I'm going to overcome temptation, I've got to live near God so that my life stays full and strong and doesn't get to the place where it is empty so that I am easily crushed under the power of temptation. Guys, 
God wants us to take sin seriously because He doesn't want us to have to go through the shame and the guilt and the brokenness that accompany our sin. He's trying to protect us. So let's resist temptation. Let's, let's live near God. And let's live stronger. Let's pray.